This is the Libertarian Podcast at the Hoover Institution. I'm your host, Tom Church, and the Libertarian is, of course, Professor Richard Epstein. Richard is the Peter and Kirsten Bedford Senior Fellow here at the Hoover Institution. He is the Lawrence A. Tisch Professor of Law over at NYU and is a senior lecturer at the University of Chicago. And Richard, today I thought we'd talk about something near and dear to many of your students' hearts, and that would be the topic of student loans. Now, this is in the news again because Jen Psaki, uh, President Biden's press secretary, mentioned that the Biden administration is trying to do something on student loans, perhaps canceling them by, I think, Q3 of this year. Now, we're talking about $1.7 trillion in outstanding loans. Um, in a recent interview, uh, Senator Warren from Massachusetts said, we knew this would be legal because Presidents Obama, Trump, and Biden have canceled interest payments for some borrowers. So therefore, President Biden could, could cancel, I guess, all of them. Um, I need to know, I, I looked at the Constitution. I think the legislative branch is in control of spending decisions, not the president. How is it constitutional? How could this happen that President Biden could forgive $1.7 trillion unilaterally? Well, first of all, the question is, when you actually forgive that money, is it an expenditure? At which point it would have to go through the usual views of the Senate and the House, uh, House starting the Senate taking it. Uh, but they've already forgiven some interest. And so the question then is, it may well be, if you look at the authorizing statute, it does give some limited power to the president to make these variations. And until somebody gives me the regulations that are involved in this case, I'm not going to draw the very hasty list, the inference that uh, Elizabeth Warren draws it, namely, if you could do a little bit, you can do it all. Um, there is in private banking the general situation that a uh, bank can certainly rework an interest payment if a loan is in default, but to simply forgive the thing outright is not exactly the same thing, and banking authorities will certainly look at a complete cancellation of a loan that has some life to it in a very different way than they will look at a modification. So I think the answer is she may well be wrong on the constitutional authority, and And it also turns out that she's certainly wrong to say that if you're in for a dime on this thing, you have to be in for a dollar. In order to make this more precise, what you would have to know is exactly what the amount was that was canceled, how much of the interest was forgiven, how much of it was deferred, what was the relationship in terms of the loan, what was the relationship in terms of the total budget before you could make any kind of judgment. So if in this particular case, the entire $1.9 trillion is at risk, uh, there's no inference that you can draw from modest changes in earlier administration to the gargantuan change that you want to make in this administration. Uh, what uh, Elizabeth Warren doing is leading with her politics. She's been a champion of student loan forgiveness for a very long time coming from an education-rich state like Massachusetts. And so she makes her constitutional law fit her political situation rather than the other way around. So I don't give that the slightest bit of credibility. She may be right in the same way that a clock may tell the right time when it stopped twice a day. But it would take a lot more independent analysis to persuade me that what she says is an accurate reflection. And as a policy matter, there's absolutely, as far as I can see, no reason whatsoever to change course in this radical fashion by unilateral presidential decree when there's so many continuous practices that are going to be at stake, both with respect to existing loans, those of students who are currently in school, and those who will start to go into universities after this program is completed. So I think, in effect, you really have to give it a very hard look. Um, In the last few years, politics is probably one of the things that's taught us is that anything can happen at any dollar figure. 
Um, I want to talk about what would happen next. Say this actually happens. Say President Biden forgives, I don't know, a trillion dollars worth or the whole or the whole one point seven trillion dollars in student loans. Um, Charlie Cook over at National Review had this spicy idea in a column about what to do next. And I want to get your take on this. He suggested that if all outstanding student loan debt were canceled, we should abolish the federal student loan program. Because after all, for a decade, for over a decade, the federal government has been issuing loans on behalf of the taxpayer. And instead of issuing debt that is paid back, it instead is going to lose all of the money that it loaned out. So I want to get your take on that. Is that an appropriate reaction uh, for for canceling all student loan debt? Well, I think it's sort of an underreaction compared to what ought to happen. I think what ought to happen is you can never give yourself a student loan program in the future again, uh, because what will happen is people make solemn declarations that we will never do this again. But since there was no reason to do it in the first place, there's going to be no reason not to do it in the second place. So what will happen is they'll reinstitute the student loan program. Elizabeth Warren II will come into office and that senator will announce we should do exactly the same thing. So once it turns out that forgiveness is built into the system in one case, it will be built into the system in all future cases, no matter what protestations are made, uh, that we're not going to do this a second time. Remember, this cancellation is done for no reason whatsoever, except for the fact we would rather these students not pay it. It's not as though there's been a national calamity of some time which has changed the situation going. So the answer is you get rid of this program. Uh, The big mistake that was made, I think it was around 2010, it was by the Obama administration, was to say that the federal government ought to take over the program. Uh, It is always a mistake to have federal government take over the program because it doesn't have any direct profit and loss consequences when it's profited with other people's money. You try to do this as a private bank, there would be a derivative action on you the day in which this was done. So the banks are not going to do it. And when it even comes to individual forgivenesses, if it turns out there's a systematic pattern of giving away unnecessary sums of money in these settlements, you're going to see another derivative action. Nobody is going to bring a derivative action as a citizen against the United States because a profligate president of either party decides to do these things. So the institutional safeguard that private lending gives for this program is completely shattered. And to my move is the moment they made the decision to have it put into the hands of Mr. Obama, it was only a matter of time before the kind of uh, downward spiral that we've observed would take place. He was, of course, much more keen on this than the Trump administration, which did some of it. And Biden essentially is basically makes a, a President Obama look like something of a piker, given the fact that he's heavily under the influence of people whom uh, Obama has always kept his distance from people like Bernie Sanders and people like Elizabeth Warren, who have no business, as far as I'm concerned, in telling anybody of what to do with respect to government policy. So I think, in effect, he's absolutely right on this. Uh, in my own view, is I would love to have a situation in which some financial consequences would be brought to bear on people in the legislature who make announcements that induce this particular policy. But I don't know the legal tools that are going to be available to bring one of these actions. I think they'll be perfectly immunized. And that's one of the reasons why, again, you don't want this in the political sphere. Anybody in the private sector who went to a corporation and said, waive all of this stuff could easily be brought in as an auxiliary ancillary defendant in these cases when there's a private action that is brought against the trustees for giving away the money. So we want to stop all of this stuff. What's going to happen here is it is a simple wealth transfer from one group of individuals to another. I'm not sure how much effect this will have on inflation. 
inflation because it's the same dollars essentially. But I do know it's going to have a horrific effect on incentive effect because if we ever try to make a student loan again today, the people will loan up as much as they possibly can, defer payments as long as they're able to do so, and then lobby for a second forgiveness, which will be every bit as mindless as the first. I want to ask you about the incentive effect of 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 this policy. So tuition rates have gone up, well, quite a lot um, since the early 1990s, and many people point to the availability of federal student loans. So I, I'd like to know what happens if, uh, I guess there's the, the the policy of let's forgive these student loans. What happens to tuition rates at that point? What would happen if we got rid of this federal student loan program and we had to resort back to, I guess, all private loans? Um, and what do you think, uh, uh, you know, the existing student loan program, if it just sticks around, no forgiveness, will do to tuition rates? Well, if it turns out you put it back into private hands, there will be no spigot going to the federal government, rather to these private universities. So they will start to actually tamp down on the kind of tuitions that they could charge. They're also going to have to do some reorganization internally to make sure that they're more efficient. Right now, um, one of the things that's so striking about universities is that the people who seem to be incidental employees of the faculty and the people who seem to really run this place are the whole variety of compliance and administrative offices that start to deal with federal programs. So I think what we should do is start with the student loan program, get rid of that. Once we get rid of that, we're going to have a much smaller lending office because they're going to deal with private parties on commercial terms. Then what we have to do is to get rid of the government oversight under the anti-discrimination laws and under some of the medical laws and so forth. Much of this stuff is absolutely quite mindless and getting rid of it would be good. I think somebody quoted me a number, which I think I will quote back, but not vouch for, which said, you try to figure out how much money goes into universities from private uh, donations and charities, and then figure out how much is spent on administrative expenses to comply with federal and state mandates, and they're roughly the same kind of figure. And so what we really have to do is to start over again with the whole situation and to realize that education should be a business opportunity. Uh, people will say, ah, but it does create all sorts of social benefits. And I agree with that. And that's why you get private charity. But what private charity does is like the bankers, they watch over their money. They're going to give it to students whom they think are going to do good things with it. They will decide whether to do loans or outright gifts. In many cases, they may have a combination. It's very common, for example, in the law school communities to give people student loans and then to have a prorated forgiveness if they start to go to work for public interest law firms on the theory that these people do not get from these firms the kind of cash that you could get if you become an associate and even a partner in one of the large commercial law firms. So you'll get much more imagination in the way in which you put these things together. And that will, in effect, improve the overall operation. The only thing to say about this is this is just another form of sort of mindless government socialism in which what happens is the state can tax anybody for any purpose and give it to anybody whom it wants. And somehow or other, the theory is that these magicians in Washington or in the state capitals can figure out who's deserving of receipt and who's not. What it's going to do under the current system is create massive sorts of resentments. There are many people who have paid off their student loans. Are there many people who are older and have only a tiny fraction less to go? This uh, forgiveness program, depending on how it's going to work, will basically work for the affluent people who are lucky enough to go to college anyhow. There are many people in the United States who never took out student loans because they went to work after high school or trade school and are earnesting an honest living. And now they're the ones who have to pay through increased tax revenues 
use the indulgences that we start to give to other people. There is, in effect, no awareness whatsoever on the part of Elizabeth Warren or a Ms. Psaki or anybody in the Biden administration uh, that when these loans are forgiven to some people, the cost of government are now going to have to be paid for by somebody else. And the people who are going to have to pay it are the people who have been virtuous and proper in the way in which they've conducted their own affairs. So what we do is we reward all sorts of opportunism for people who delay on their loans, default on their loans, and the parts has to be picked up in part by people who have scrupulously paid for their particular loan. What you do in politics is you get what you pay for. And if you want to pay for opportunism and irresponsibility, then forgive these loans. If you want to protect the interests of people who have been net contributors to society, you don't forgive these loans. Um, the Biden administration has a huge problem on inflation, and part of it is because of the profligate spending of money, but part of it is because of the shrinking base of useful assets that we get with the money. Remember, Tom, the simple formula that you always keep in mind, it's the number of dollars over the number of assets. And the more dollars you have per asset, the more inflation is going to take place. Well, if you shrink the asset base gratuitously by mindless redistribution, uh, the same number of dollars is going to create a higher level of inflation. So you always have to look at both sides of the equation. And one thing that's wrong with many of the monetarists is they assume it's only money policy, fiscal policy that determines inflation rate instead of worrying about everything else. And if you're talking about an administration which knows how to dissipate money in the most mindless way possible, uh, the Biden administration is pretty much second to none in the terms of its downright perverse incentives. I work in a number of areas. I can't think of a single one from the Securities Commission to the Telecommunications Commission to the Monopoly Commission to the Global Warming Commission, whatever it is that you want. These people are almost always so far off base that it's just simply painful to have to watch them, which they prance around on this way. And there's no incentive to stop them at this point. And if we allow this kind of program to go through, what we could do is expect in other unrelated areas, there will be similar kinds of programs which will start to take place, whether it be on forgiveness on the one hand or the payment of subsidies on the other or the penalties for gainful Institutions on the third hand, this whole thing, in effect, is just a sign of the kind of intellectual rot uh, that seems to be the dominant motif on the part of the progressive Democrats. And this is a tragedy because there are many Democrats who don't support this, but their voices are not heard. And I do think there will be a reaction come this coming November to the situation as we see it. And as best I can tell, the Democrats are trying to double down on their various programs now, knowing that they're going to be out of office. So they'd rather lose the Congress if they could get the current programs and then hope that they could resume the control uh, once they regain power several years down the road. This is not a pretty scenario. It's actually kind of a depressing story. Well, let's end on um, hopefully maybe a positive note or uh, at least an imaginative one. All right. So here's what I want you to assume, Richard. I want you to assume you're uh, you're President Biden, you're in charge, and we're going to assume away the legal challenges of you unilaterally being able to spend $1.7 $1.7 trillion, basically over the next 10 years when this money would have been paid back. Now, you and I, we talk a lot about programs to cut excessive government spending. There's a lot to go around to uh, in that vein. How would you, 
as the libertarian, use your unilateral budget authority to pay for something, you know, I'm giving you $1.7 trillion over the next decade. What kind of programs are you actually going to get behind? What kind of, who, who, who deserves this kind of assistance that's, uh, I guess, targeted a little bit differently than, than student loan payments? And well, the fact that you put the question that way indicates that you're just going to repeat the problem. It's not a question of trying to target transfer payments from one group to another. The way in which you want to use your capital budgets is to build infrastructure which will generate revenues equal to or greater than the amount of money you put in as a first approximation. I thought that's what student loans are helping to do. No, they're not. Because what student loans do is they purport to be dealing with investment. But what you do is since people get these loans for free and it's not their parents, what happens is people will take the student loans, even though the education that they will get will not help them in the slightest. And they certainly won't help the society at large. If you have loans that are made by parents and by other people who care, they're not going to invest in frivolous loans. They're only going to invest in loans if they think their children or their scholarship donees are actually going to do something of it. The federal government program is anybody comes along. So the mix of students that you have and the behaviors that take place after they get the scholarship are completely different. But if you look, for example, at the California budget, compare it now to what it was 60 years ago, um, the transfer payments dominate everything today. Even on so-called infrastructure projects, you have all sorts of padded um, labor accounts giving favored groups various kinds of benefits. 60 years ago, what you did is you built highways and you built other kinds of public facilities that essentially increased the capital stock. And you did it in areas where private investment were very difficult to obtain. So if I had this kind of money, what I would start doing would be to look at the kinds of capital improvement projects that I think made sense. And I would try to figure out how it was that I could support those. And I would try to cut out all the subsidies that are given to all sorts of things that really don't make sense. And for example, I try to be much more rational in the way in which you dispose of various kinds of water resources, which are often sold at below market rates. I would be very careful of giving large subsidies to people to grow grapes or to grow some other kind of fruit. I would be an anti-subsidy character and I would try to do it in the way I said. So if there's a question about whether you build the Grand Railroad from Los Angeles up to San Francisco. You don't want to build that road because if it turned out that you had to rely on the revenues that you got from the operation, it would cover 1% of the total cost. What you want to tell people, you want to do this. We're not going to give you general revenues. You have to float infrastructure bonds where the lenders are going to have to look to the borrow. The, the, The lenders are going to have to look to the project itself in order to be repaid on the loan rather than to the general credit of the United States. I think this is absolutely the key principle. There are going to be exceptions to that, perhaps with certain kinds of military expenditures and so forth. But that's not what's driving this. You know, in 1960, the military budget was probably 5% of GDP. It's now down to 2% of GDP, and it's much too small. But most of those expenditures, at least before we got modern, were done for things that actually helped the defense of the United States. Now, God knows what they're spent on, because the military with woke expenditures of one kind or another is not the same military that it was when we started to deal with these kinds of issues 50 or 60 years ago. So what you have to do is you have to have a complete change in attitudes in which you realize that transfer payments 
are very dubious, particularly since half of them go to people who are privileged in one way or another. So you can't even use the rich to poor rationale to do it. Everybody who's looked at the student loan population knows that if you have no limitation on the amount of wealth that you currently have or your net assets, uh, this is going to be redistribution from poor to rich. You could try to cap it in some way so that the only people who will get the money are those people who are low on income or you cap it for a certain amount. All of those changes would make a huge difference. So I do think there's room to compromise on these programs, even though I'm in favor of doing nothing with respect to this, keeping the status quo. But for everything else, what happens is we have to understand that wealth transfers between private individuals do not improve the capital stock of the United States. So what we're doing is we're impoverishing our future in order to help our present. And who are the past masters of doing this? California. Um, You want to do real estate investment, you can't buy land anymore. You have to basically be able to pay for permits that should be issued more or less as of right. So the whole system is completely thrown out of whack. And it's no surprise uh, that the numbers of people who are leaving the state of California is increasing. And it's not just very, very rich people. It's people trying to earn an honest living in which what they do is they find out that they're frustrated in every way. And the simplest explanation is the tax dollars that they put in don't go back to give them some kind of improvements which would make them stay. They go to give various kinds of transfer payments, which makes everybody want to leave. And so the key feature on all of this stuff is you have to treat the student loan program as another illustration of mindless transfer payments by a government which should spending its time to try to build up capital assets that private industry cannot directly supply. You've been listening to the Libertarian Podcast with Richard Epstein. Remember, you can read Richard's column, The Libertarian, over on Defining Ideas at Hoover.org. If you enjoyed this conversation, please share it with your friends and rate the show on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're tuning in. For Richard Epstein, I'm Tom Church. See you next week. This podcast is a production of the Hoover Institution, where we advance ideas that define a free society and improve the human condition. For more information about our work or to listen to more of our podcasts or watch our videos, please visit hoover.org.